listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 says this, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. God's objective in your life and mine, that we have a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. But the Apostle Paul is concerned that the Corinthians are being led astray from that. And here's the reason why in verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And then in the book of Galatians in chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, verses 6 through 10, the same apostle says something very similar that we should sit up and take note about. We should pay attention to this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Wow. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Great passages of Scripture to keep in mind in this day and age where tolerance seems to be king. We're hearing a lot about tolerance today, how we need to be tolerant with each other. But there's no such thing as having tolerance with other people and making other people satisfied if at the core of your efforts you are compromising on the truth of God. You cannot compromise God's truth if you expect to be faithful and true to God. If your ambition is to be popular among people, you will be tempted to compromise the truth of God's word. But if you make it your ambition to honor God, you will not care what mere mortals say. You will only care about the truth of God's word. Now, in today's day and age, the day and age in which we live, it's very important to understand. In fact, it's not just important, it's imperative. It is imperative. That means essential to understand the real Jesus. And not only the real Jesus, but the real teachings of Jesus which are found in all of the Bible. Not just the red letters in your Bible are the words of Jesus. The whole Bible presents the teachings of Jesus. What do you think Jesus was quoting from? There was no New Testament when Jesus walked and talked. It was only the Old Testament. 
Jesus taught from the Old Testament. Why? Because that was and that is his word as well. So it's absolutely imperative that you embrace, that you understand, and that you follow the biblical Jesus, that you do not compromise in the name of tolerance for a different gospel or a different Jesus or another gospel or another Jesus. Paul makes it very clear. If somebody comes to you and does that, let alone you embracing it yourself, if somebody comes along and presents to you a different Jesus or a gospel contrary to the one that is presented in the word of God, it is so serious, he says it twice, let him be, let her be, let that entity, whether it's an angel or a person, no matter who it is, regardless of their title, regardless of their charisma or prestige, if somebody comes and presents a different Jesus or a gospel contrary to what is presented in the Bible, they are to be cut off and eternally accursed. That's about as serious as it gets. And that's why we're continually taking you into the Bible so that you can see for yourself what the Bible teaches so that you can understand the biblical Jesus and follow the teachings of Jesus as presented in the Bible. It doesn't matter what I say or what anyone else says unless what I say and what anyone else says reflects the truth presented in God's word. Because my endeavor is to present to you the biblical Jesus and the biblical gospel. So with that in mind, look with me now as we continue through the gospel of Luke at Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. We're going to go through verses 36 through 49 again, part two of the message supernatural, because there's so much truth here that we have to go and dig deeper. So here it is in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 36, two disciples have met the risen, resurrected Jesus on their way to Emmaus, and they've now gone to go meet with the other remaining 11 apostles and those who are with them. And here's where we pick it up in verse 36. They've come to tell their story. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, if we look at chapter 24, verse 26, when Jesus was with Cleopas and the other disciple, look what it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So when we see in the Bible where it says here, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's helping us understand that all of the Old Testament is about Jesus. It all points to Jesus. And so Jesus is either out of his mind 
or he's completely in his right mind by telling the disciples that all of the Old Testament is about me. I mean, he would be blasphemous if that were not true, but it is true. It was true then, and it is true now, and it's important for you to understand that if that's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you. If all of the Bible is about Jesus, and Jesus was, and still is, pointing his disciples into the Bible, then a good place for you to be, a good place for me to be, if you're going to follow Jesus, is to be in the words of Jesus so that you can put them into practice, okay? He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem, your witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. First, let's focus here. We'll begin with the end, nearly the end, verse 47. Okay, Luke 24 beginning in verse 47, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is no racism in Jesus Christ. There is therefore no room for racism among his followers. No racism in Jesus Christ. The gospel is to be preached to all nations. And if you haven't checked recently, there's a lot of diversity of color when you go around the world. Everything from super white to super dark, everything in between. And Jesus makes it clear. There are people who say, well, Christians have been racist in the past. Founding fathers have been racist. Get over it. You've got your own issues. We all are imperfect. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But when it comes to Jesus, the thing that Jesus is trying to help us understand, and he's tremendously patient with us, is that the gospel is for all people everywhere all the time. And the whole point of Jesus presenting this to the disciples is so that they would get it through their thick heads, even as we need to get it through ours, is that Jesus is for all people. Jesus is for all people everywhere, all the time, because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no racism in Jesus. There is to be no racism in anybody who claims to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, if you want to get a deeper sense of how closely you're following Jesus, look at what's happening in your heart, your heart of hearts, in regard to your attitude toward people of different color. Your attitude toward people of different color reveals to you whether or not you're walking in the mind of Jesus Christ. There is no racism in Jesus. There is no racism in the gospel. It's to be preached to all nations because God created all the races on the earth and all colors as well, and all people are in need of the same forgiveness that is only provided in Jesus. 
So I think one of the reasons why racism rages is because we forget that we were all created in the image of God. One of the reasons why we're seeing racism off the charts today, and I believe that it's also true to suggest that I think the media is stirring that pot, looking for news stories. I hear a lot of mmms when I say that. How many of you believe that just by applause? There's a lot happening in the media where they want to take this particular story or that particular story and make it seem like that reflects all of America when it doesn't, or that it reflects all of whatever fill in the blank when it doesn't. Remember, the media is always looking for a story, and if they're looking for a story, they can start with the 66 books of the Bible, the greatest story ever told. Where Jesus, who probably wasn't as white as you or as me, died on a real cross in real time so that everybody and anybody, no matter how dark their past, could have a future that's wrapped up in him. That's what the gospel is. Greatest story ever told. This is why you need to be reading multiple news stories and not believing the first thing or the second thing that you read or that you see because things can be twisted and bad news can travel very fast today. Distorted news can travel very fast. And before you know it, a bunch of people can be whipped up and in a frenzy and upset about something that might not have a whole lot of truth in it. And last time I checked, if you check it as well, when you read the scriptures, Jesus stood for truth. In fact, he told Pilate, anybody on the side of truth listens to me. So if you're going to be engaged as a follower of Jesus Christ, you better pay attention to what's happening in our nation. And you need to be especially sensitive to the reality that Jesus did not judge people based on their skin color. Jesus judged people based on their sin. That's what makes all of us, no matter what color we are, equal at the foot of the cross. There is no racism in Jesus. There must be no racism in in each of us. Those of us who profess to be followers of his, And one of the things you can and should be praying for in this nation is that the gospel is so clearly proclaimed that racism fades off, fades away, dissolves, and we all recognize that all of us are equal at the foot of the cross. All of us are brothers and sisters in need of genuine forgiveness provided by the one and only uniquely brought forth Never will be another Jesus. Nobody will be like him. We are cleansed and washed and equal because God created each one of us. And the moment anybody gives their life to Jesus Christ, they are forgiven of all their sins. And what needs to happen in each of our lives, in our prayer lives, you need to be praying for the outpouring of God's spirit for real, genuine spiritual awakening in this nation. And don't think that spiritual awakening means that the sky's gonna part, that the sun's gonna come down, and somebody's gonna come out playing saxophone like Kenny G, and we're all gonna have warm fuzzies, and that's revival. No, when we look at the history of revival, when God's spirit really falls, remember Jesus says in John chapter 4, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Truth is absolutely important. Did you know that Yale and Harvard, for example, were founded as a result of revivals in this nation? Spiritual awakening results in a passion to teach people how to follow 
all of the teachings of Jesus. And Yale and Harvard had at their beginning a desire to fulfill, at least in some part, the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world and to make disciples. You cannot be interested in making disciples. You cannot be interested in becoming a disciple, a follower of Jesus, if you're not interested in truth, God's truth. Not some of it, but all of it. Because if you tell a half-truth, you're telling a whole lie. And that's why it's important to make sure that your opinion of Jesus is the biblical opinion of Jesus and that your understanding of the gospel is the biblical understanding of the gospel. And that's why I want to focus here on verse 36. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. This is not just a greeting, it's also a proclamation. It's not just a greeting, it's also a proclamation. Look with me at Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. In the Old Testament, remember, Jesus showed them that everything in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms was about him. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning in verse 15, you read about God saying, I'm going to send you a prophet like Moses from among your own people, a Jew to the Jewish people who's going to speak my words. And we know that that's fulfilled in Jesus. So that's the law, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Just one example, beginning in verse 15, where Jesus is prophesied about. Then if you read Psalm 22, the Psalms, you read about an amazing depiction of, of, some, of somebody who is crucified, and it's way before the arrival of Jesus, and it's a prophecy about what a crucified life is like. What's it like to be on the cross in the Psalms? And then here in the prophets, Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5, I'm just giving you a few examples of how throughout all of the Old Testament, Jesus is present. So look with me at Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, in other words, sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. This is presenting a picture of somebody who would take the blame of everybody. And we now know in hindsight that it's Jesus. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, hold on to your seat, that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, has a theology presented to us where it helps us understand that sin is likened to disease. The primary disease or illness or ailment that you have and that you had before you came to know Christ, that I had before I came to know Christ, that I needed to be healed of, that you were and are healed of if you've given your life to Christ and you're not yet healed of if you have not yet given your life to Christ, the primary thing that ails you is sin, separation from God. And Isaiah is helping us understand what's going to be accomplished in the future, which now is hindsight for us, through this one upon whom punishment would be placed and chastisement that would result in God proclaiming peace. That's an amazingly important thing for you to understand if you don't yet know Christ. And it's an amazingly important thing for all of us to remember if we do know Christ. 
you were at war with God by default from the womb. And then we're born into this world at odds with God, fighting against God. And what needs to happen is that there needs to be a peace treaty signed between you and God, not on your terms, but on God's terms. So look with me, if you would, at Romans chapter 5, where we look a little bit and explore a little bit more what it means to be at peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, he's talking about people who've given their lives to Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus stands before the disciples and says, peace to you, it's not just a greeting, it's also a proclamation. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this undeserved favor or this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Remember, Jesus tells the disciples, you're going to receive power from on high. When you give your life to Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. If you feel like you're unworthy to be forgiven of your sins, you only understand part of it. None of us is worthy to be forgiven of all of our sins. All of us who have given our lives to Christ were absolutely ungodly. And once we give our lives to Christ, the objective of a disciple is to become increasingly godly. So our sin always matters to God. It should always matter to us. One of the marks of maturity is whether or not you care about the things that come out of your mouth, which are the result of what's residing in your heart, what you do with your hands, where you allow your eyes to wander, what you let your ears hear, fill in the blank. Sin always matters to God, and it should always matter to a disciple. And if you don't care about sin anymore, it's a pretty good indication that you've strayed from Jesus. Be very careful of a hardened heart that results from disobedience. Disobedience in the little things eventually leads to disobedience and waywardness in the big things. Romans chapter 5, verse 7, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, this is being made right with God on his terms, not our own. The treaty has been signed in the blood of Jesus. Tremendously high price paid. Much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God, the opposite of peace. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
It's not just a greeting that Jesus is providing to the apostles, peace to you. It's also a proclamation. Look with me at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. God has legally, officially, positionally declared peace between you and him. There's no longer a war the moment you give your life to Christ. The moment you give your life to Jesus Christ and accept what God the Father has done by putting him on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, the chastisement that brought you peace was upon his shoulders. The moment you do that, God is no longer your enemy. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. This is all through the Bible, and by the way, this is the gospel, the gospel of God. And your thoughts and my thoughts need to conform to the truth of this gospel, and not just our thoughts, but also our lifestyles. If the gospel is only something that tickles your fancy, if the gospel is only something that stimulates your mind, you don't understand the purpose of the gospel. It's supposed to affect our minds and our hearts so that it gets into our lifestyle. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Notice you weren't just wounded, you were dead. Spiritual death in the Bible is separation from God. And every single one of us is separated from God until and unless we accept the provision of peace given by God the Father, which is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. In which you once walked, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature meaning default, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Your natural state is to be at odds with God, to be an object of his wrath, not his peace. Why? Because of sin. Sin is serious. How serious? Remember the cross. That's how serious your sin and mine is before Almighty God. And that sin must be taken care of. It must be dealt with because otherwise you will remain, you would have remained dead in your trespasses, in your sins, in your transgressions, totally separate from God. You needed somebody who was without sin to come and pay the penalty of your sin. I did too. And that's what the cross is all about. This is the gospel. This is great news because without the provision of Jesus Christ on the cross, you would still be dead in your transgressions and sins, separated from God in this life and then also for an eternity in the life to come. So we're either at peace with God or we are still under the wrath of God. And the only thing that determines which side of that fence we're on is whether or not you have given your life to Christ for the forgiveness of not just some of your sins, but every single one of your sins. 
the thing, the thing, is actually a person that makes a difference as to whether or not you are an enemy of God at enmity with him under the wrath of God or whether or not you are at peace with God is whether or not you've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Look at verse 4, Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy, mercy is the withholding of judgment that is deserved. That's what mercy is. God, when you give your life to Christ, decides not to punish you the way you deserve, decided not to punish me the way I deserve. That's what mercy is, the withholding of deserved punishment. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By undeserved favor you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The grace of God is when God gives us something, gives us gifts or a gift that we don't deserve. So the mercy and grace of God are the result of the forgiveness of sins that you've received. It's the result of the goodness of God, the initiation of God. Listen, you don't initiate anything before God. You were dead. Dead things don't do anything. I could bring you up here and put you in a three-piece suit, dress you up in the nicest dress that you might have if you're dead. Sprinkle water on you, immerse you, leave you underwater for 30 seconds or more. Dead means dead. There is no ritual that can be performed. There is no act that you can do that will result in your own salvation. You were dead, incapable of doing anything. That's why it's the undeserved favor of God that while you were dead, Jesus wanted to become your life and by undeserved favor reached out to you, forgave you, and then on top of that, seated you with himself in the heavenly places far above any and all of your problems or adversaries. Wow. Why would God do that? Because, because he loves you. Don't ever forget that at the cross, God made his statement about his hatred for sin and his love for you. And not only his hatred of sin for all the others that we see around us, but also something that we evangelicals seem to be forgetting, his love for them as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only uniquely brought forth one-of-a-kind son whose name is Jesus prophesied and predicted in the law of Moses in the Psalms in the prophets. It's all throughout the Old Testament that God had made up his mind before the beginning of time somehow that I was valuable, that you were valuable, that people of all different colors are valuable, worth so much that he would give his only son 
so that he could have closeness with you and closeness with me. The only thing separating us from God, you from God, was your sin. And that might still be the only thing keeping you from him at this very moment if you have not settled the issue of Jesus being your Savior. God has done so much by withholding judgment from us and extending goodness to us that it's incomprehensible and it's not possible to exhaust all of that here and now in just a brief message or even hundreds and hundreds of messages. That's why we're going to spend, those of us who have given our lives to Christ, we're going to spend an eternity going deeper and deeper and deeper into the understanding of the mercy and the grace of Almighty God. And you might not know that today. You might not understand that today. You might not be able to say, I know that all of my sins are forgiven. I know that Jesus died on the cross for me. Or you might just know that at a head level, but you might not yet have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Today's the day. You're going to have an opportunity to do exactly that, settle the most important issue in your life where you could say, you know what? I want some of that mercy. I want some of that grace. I want some of that forgiveness. I want some of that relationship with Jesus. I want to make sure not only that my eternal destiny is sealed, but I want to get through this life here and now, walking with God. I want to be at peace with that same Jesus who appeared out of nowhere and said, peace to you. Peace to you. It is not just a greeting. It is also a proclamation of what God has done for you and what God will do for you the moment you give your life to Christ. He'll take away the enmity, the hostility between you and him. You might not even realize you have it. If you have not allowed God to deal with your sin, you're at war with God. It's as simple as that. And God is offering you a peace treaty through the blood of his son. God is saying to you, I don't want to be at odds anymore. I don't want to fight with you. You know, there's nobody who's ever fought God and come out a winner. Yet we deceive ourselves all the time thinking, somehow I'm going to get ahead by resisting God. God is saying to you, I don't want to fight with you. And the truth is, you don't want to fight with God. God did what you were incapable of doing, what I was incapable of doing while we were dead. Not even aware that we were at odds with God. God sent Jesus on the cross and then we became aware of our own sin, didn't we? The cross of Christ shows us that something is seriously wrong until we allow God to make it right. Now, let's delve a little bit deeper here as It's very easy for us, you know, in verse 36 of Luke 24, very easy for us to want to embrace. We all are listening to the same radio station 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's broadcast in German, French, Italian, Swahili, Pidgin English in all different parts of the world, the English language. Every language that's spoken, this radio station is playing, and you're listening to it right now. I'm listening to it right now. You can't turn it off even if you want to. The call letters are W-I-F-M, and they stand for what's in it for me. 
It's very easy for us to look at something like this and to say, yeah, I am thankful to God for that peace that he's given to me. I'm thankful to God that he's taken away all of my sins. That is, if you've given your life to Christ. Again, if you haven't, all of your sins are still there and you're still dead, separate from God, not only in this life, but one day in an eternity where God will grant you the continuation of the separation that began here. It's very easy for us to look at the gospel and say, yeah, I want that. I am thankful for that. But you notice what Jesus says here. Look at verse 45 of Luke 24. Very, very important for us to understand the new way of life that is supposed to result from giving our lives to Christ. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Did you catch that? Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. The reason why Jesus is all through the Old Testament is because you cannot have forgiveness of sins without Jesus. It's just not possible. There is no such thing as having peace with God, having the wrath removed, unless Jesus is the one whom you've embraced. But you know, look at what it says here, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. It's very easy for us to hear the gospel story and to want to receive the goodness that results when we give our life to Jesus Christ. But with the passage of time, I'm just going to be honest with you about my own life. And if this isn't you, then praise God that you're an anomaly. With the passage of time, I tend to forget the central role of repentance and how it is inseparable from forgiveness. It's not possible to have forgiveness without repentance for the disciple. First John says, if we say we're without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, repentance and forgiveness is not just something that's important as a means of getting into the kingdom of God and being saved and having that peace treaty signed through your relationship with Jesus. Repentance and forgiveness of sins becomes important as your new way of living as a Christ follower. And so I want to ask this question in a day and an age where repentance seems to have been divorced from the gospel, which by the way is no gospel at all. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that the epicenter of the gospel is repentance. When Jesus arrived on the scene, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's not a once and for all thing that Jesus said. Jesus said it like this. Repent and keep repenting. When you accept me, you're accepting a new way of living where repentance becomes the freshness of your life. And like me, I bet you need a renewal of your understanding of the importance of repentance for the lifestyle of somebody who says they're following Jesus. 
Maturity in Jesus, walking closeness with Jesus, is characterized by a lifestyle of repentance so that when your spouse says to you, you're not immediately ready to push aside their input. When you hear something from a pastor, no matter how it might be delivered, or when you read something that's true about you, that you immediately begin to adjust your life and say, bring it on, Jesus. I don't care who the messenger is. I don't even care how imperfectly the message may have been delivered. The only thing I care about, Lord, is speak your servants listening. And so let's talk quickly about forgiveness and gossip and rebellion and surrender in the lives of Christians. Number one, is there anybody that you need to forgive? A lot of psychosomatic, psychological issues that people will spend a lot of money to go see a psychiatrist or a psychologist over or a pastor. We're usually good for nothing. You don't have to pay us to come and talk about your problems, but a lot of the problems are the result of one thing and one thing only. You won't forgive somebody. You won't forgive somebody. See, we want peace with God, but we have a hard time extending peace to somebody else. Repentance and forgiveness are your new modus operandi Christ follower. You must repent. No right to hold a grudge. Leave room for God's wrath. God sees everything, knows everything. Who is it that you need to forgive? Who is it that you need to call up today? Who is it that you need to write a letter to and say, you know what? I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? And it's not right all the time to go to somebody and to say, I've been holding this against you because they could be absolutely clueless. You could blow them out of the water. That's not necessarily beneficial. But you might need to get along with God and say, Lord, would you forgive me for not forgiving and releasing that person? I want your peace. I want your forgiveness. I want your restoration. I've received it. I've received mercy and grace. Why is it, Lord, that I have such a hard time doing for this person what you did for me. I mean, after all, you did so much more for me. Certainly, you can give me the grace by your Holy Spirit, the power from on high, to forgive somebody for this thing that really is petty. Right? So forgiveness is very important if you're going to live a lifestyle of repentance. And not just forgiveness, but also the words that come out of our mouths the gossip issue. Is there anybody you've been talking about in a way that is not God-honoring? If, if Jesus were right there while you're having your conversations or writing your emails or, I don't know, posting comments on blogs or texting, if Jesus was looking over your shoulder as he is, are there people that you tend to talk about in negative ways that just don't honor God or is it just that you want God to forgive you your sins without recognizing the seriousness and severity of not walking in repentance where we're supposed to stop doing those things? Is there anybody that you need to stop talking about or maybe, maybe the way that you're talking about them? Repentance means that we talk differently. We speak differently. What about rebellion? Look with me at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. 
I know this as a pastor and anybody who is a pastor knows that one of the most difficult things we face, it's one thing if a pastor or the elders or the leaders of a church are doing something ungodly and unbiblical, but when there are judgment calls to be made, there is something about God raising up leaders and following the leaders. And I say this with fear and trepidation because this verse speaks to me as much as it speaks to all of us. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who have to, those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. In fact, it's of no advantage to anybody. One of the main things that pastors and elders and Christian leaders have to deal with is grumbling people who are strongly opinionated who have a problem really with rebellion because the reason why we won't obey is because we're rebellious against God. Is there anybody that you need to be a little bit more giving toward, a little bit more respectful toward, whether it's a government official? I know it's popular to talk against a government leader, especially these days that doesn't make it right. Anybody in the church that you need to be maybe a little bit more respectful of, a little bit more God-honoring toward in light of the black and white teaching of Scripture, Hebrews 13, 17? Granted, provided the leader's not sinning and disobeying God. And finally, you know what it all comes down to? It comes down to the issue of surrender. If you're going to accept the forgiveness of Jesus and a restored relationship with him, a lifestyle of repentance is a lifestyle of surrender to Almighty God. That no matter what it is that God says to you, you don't care how it's delivered, only that it's God speaking it to you. Your answer before it's even heard, before you even get to digest it, is, Lord, yes. The new way that a disciple is to live, that you're to live, that I'm to live, is to walk in repentance before Almighty God. Not just to receive the peace that God has given us, but now to walk as a vessel of peace, of somebody who is characterized by walking with peace. And there are so many people in the body of Christ whose lifestyles are not characterized by peace. They're characterized by friction and division. And they leave church to go to another church and repeat the scenario. So you're only able to, to keep that church face on for maybe a year or two or maybe three until eventually the same underlying issues come to the surface again. What is it that God is saying to you in line with repentance and forgiveness and the goodness of the gospel? How is it that you can respond to God today and go deeper with him and higher with him. And by the way, deeper with other people as well. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. 
There's no place else worth looking. 